0: Hey, today is September twenty fifth, twenty seventeen, and you're listening to Human Factors Cast. We're on episode fifty nine. We're taking a look at iOS eleven came out uh, recently. We're also taking a look at what Facebook can do to read your mind. Those Alexa smart glasses, I cannot wait for those. And ask her to start Human Factors Cast because the welcome to Human Factors Cast. Your way factors psychology and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. We're back. The audio problems are solved from last week. They're resolved. Blake Arnsdorf hanging out over there.
1: Oh, yeah. No audio problems. Everything's good. Happy Monday, Nick.
0: Everything's fine over here. How how are you? Oh, man. I'm, I'm pretty excited, too. Hey, before we get the show started, uh, I am really excited to check out. And our link is in the, dis- in the show description. So... Come on, click on that. Hang out with us, and, and just to have those conversations about human factor stuff, and maybe some of the things that you hear about out there. We want to hear from you, uh, and we've actually we've actually had a couple of people um, either write or uh, review us, which is always great. Um, so we just want to thank you guys for for doing that. It's always nice when uh, I was I was telling Blake before the show. You know, it's always nice when we. Uh, we get that feedback because we realize, you know, it's, it, it's me and Blake shooting the shit every week, right? Like, And then when we get that feedback, we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's, it's
1: more fuel for, <laughs> fuel for the fire for us and wanting to keep doing it and enjoying ourselves and hoping to hear more from you guys from Slack because that would be cool to interact with some of you.
0: Absolutely. Blake, how are you, buddy? Oh, man,
1: I am good. So, Nick, I got to tell you, man, I spent the weekend marveling at some of engineering's most amazing feats, I went to an air show here locally in San Diego over the weekend at the Miramar
0: Miramar air, uh, show.
1: Miramar air Air Force Base. Or no, sorry, Marine Base. But i tell you what, it was so crazy to watch some of these aircraft, especially this particular one that was an F-35, and they performed just a demo of some of its different capabilities, which, of course, But also, it can just hover in the air for easy, like, just, you know, doing what it needs to, to do.
0: Man, that's, yeah, I'm always so impressed with the capabilities of our, <laughs> of our, uh, of our systems and, and uh, I, I, so I, let me, let me tell a little anecdote here. So I was actually going out for lunch the other day and, and I worked down in Miramar and, um, you know, uh, they were practicing for the show. I think this was last Thursday or something when I went out for lunch and they, they, uh, they were practicing for the show and you can see. You know there were there were four of these jets like flying in formation, and I'm just like man, pilots going through right now like two inches to the their wingmen, and it, it's just so impressive to me that the the skill behind these pilots sometimes it's it's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, the I mean it's especially when you're talking like shows shows like the Blue Angels, and it's it's just crazy what they can do in aircraft, uh, but also something that the Marines demonstrated was basically a tactical demo. So how all of these different types of aircraft and helicopters and also ground vehicles like Humvees, tanks and bigger vehicles as well, along with Marines would work in kind of a tactical ec- exercise like from both from putting Marines on. On the ground from like Huey helicopters, how they move in formation and then how all these different tactical assets assist them throughout the throughout the entire time during the exercise. And it was just really incredible to watch the the I don't know, just the interaction between all these different operators in disparate places, just communicating with each other to like makes the demo so it was super simplified They're a really complex system where people and machines are interacting along with just like background technology it was just an awesome show
0: it almost feels like they should get some people to help out with that to you know facilitate better communication and and uh less user error i don't know anyway that, i think there's a whole field for that i'm sure but uh I, man so okay I, I got the note 8 this week are you familiar with this no, I'm not. What's up with the Note 8? So the Note 8 is the new Samsung. You know, you remember those phones that were blowing up in people's pockets on the plane? They banned them. Yeah. Up. So this is the eight. So we're back. Uh, it's better. Uh, and man, I gotta say, I really like it. Uh, like we don't, we don't typically do like reviews on on this show or whatever. But I mean, like I, I gotta mention just some of the interaction with this built in. Okay. Okay. So it has a stylus built in and it automatically brings up an application that you can take notes on. If your screen is off, you can literally just write on the screen to take a note, to jot something down, to remember later. I found this is awesome, man. This is (laughs) is one myself, like, uh, you know, normally I'll just fat finger the phone to to do whatever, but with this stylus, I find myself, it, it gives me a little bit more precision when I'm doing stuff. This stylus has hover states which on a phone is really interesting, right? So I'm on my calendar app right now and I'm hovering over the very edge of it, the stylus. I'm not touching the screen, I'm hovering over it and it's scrolling down and it's, it's pretty interesting like to, to have this sort of interaction on a phone. It's not something I'm used to, and it's something that I'm finding more enjoyable as, like, I play games and I can see what status effects are on my characters and the opposing characters and whatnot, not to touch anything. Am I-
1: yeah, I mean, that makes kind of intuitive sense that you would be able to stylus versus, like, the variants in different people's hands and thumb thumb sizes and all right. that kind of stuff.
0: Right, So that's one piece of this puzzle. The other piece, have you seen these phones with the curved displays on the side? they, they, they kind of like have that edge um, that's that's curved. yeah
1: what is, what's that actually what purpose does that serve if any
0: so you know I was I, I wasn't sold on the idea because I was like you know I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna get a case and it's gonna cover the edges anyway so why do I want this but I found um, so case or no case but I found a case that that actually you know go it recesses uh, so that way the curve of the screen, um, you can still touch. And uh, the more I do this, the more I like it. And what happens, or what I found at least, just by using this, uh, we're all familiar with Fitts' law. And if you're not, it's basically the further away and smaller an object is, the harder it is to touch it or you know interact with it, right, to hit it straight on. So that's that's the same principle behind throwing your mouse up into the upper right-hand corner of the, the screen because you have an infinite... Um, an infinite area where if you toss it up there, it will hit the X, right? So with that concept in mind, the screen, like with the edges, I can come in from any angle, basically on the side and be really clumsy and still be able to swipe left or swipe right on my device rating to not have to do the whole arc where you kind of come in, you swoop in, you touch down, you swipe over and you swoop up. You know, it's just like, it's just an over, like I can start on my case and just roll it over. Like it, it it's, it's essentially that, that same Fitzlaw law principle, but applied to a cell phone. And man, I got to show you this sometime because you'll, you'll understand the difference when you actually use it. Like, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. I'm trying to, I'm trying my best here, but no, I mean, it makes
1: sense because like, in comparison, thinking about kind of my iPhone or whatever, I have to either pick it up to like pick it up, hit the home button, or hit one of the side buttons to get it to activate before I can even do any gestures on it. But it sounds like you can just come at it from any angle and activate whatever gesture you need to to either on the phone or with an application or swipe it on. So that sounds pretty cool. I I'm having a hard time, I guess visualizing how it works with a case on it and i mean your description is good it's just i haven't seen it before but it it's cool to know that the, the like curved edges actually have a pretty sweet purpose it sounds like and so are you talking about using it with your thumb or with the stylus or both
0: both i mean it's a little bit more it's a little bit more difficult with the stylus right because if you have the stylus out then uh when you when you come at it the stylus only uses the tip right? It's just the tip. Hey, there we go. This used to be a family show. <clears throat> it just uses the tip, right? So if you come over the side, you have to sort of like roll the stylus over and it's a little bit less elegant than just fat fingering the thing. But I mean, you know, it, it, I, it, either way, it's still a really interesting interaction. And I really, uh, the more I mess with it, the more I appreciate it. It's something that I didn't know I needed until I got it. Um, you know, and aside aside from that, you know, it's got the big screen and it's got the the nice camera and whatnot. And I don't want to do a whole phone review because that's not what the show's about. But I just I, I I was more interested in talking about these sort of interactions that I didn't know I needed. Yeah, that's
1: kind of cool that that all comes from. It sounds like a lot from the stylus as far as something like the more precise interactions and the handwriting, but also the curved edges. I mean that that's that's pretty cool. So the only question I have is, did you? To like understand how to use any of this was just was that just like playing around with the phone or was it intuitive well, that, to figure out or
0: um see so, so I think I I'm coming from the human factors design engineering background right so I I understand what what these designers over at Samsung were going for with um with the curved display and and maybe maybe they weren't specifically going for this Fitzlaw you can you can swipe on it from any angle. Uh, approach, but I mean, it's definitely what's happening, and it's it's kind of uh, y- you know it was just me coming at it from that human factors perspective, going, huh, this is interesting, and you know that that's that's really what it came down to. So whether it's intuitive or not, I'm not sure. Um, uh, who knows? They they've done usability testing, I'm sure, but. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure... No, I'm sure they have. But yeah, that sounds pretty awesome, man. Hey, so Blake, one other thing before we get into the stories this week. Uh, Are you familiar with the HFES website? Yes, I'm familiar with it. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I guess this is kind of news, uh, but we didn't post it anywhere. I mean, this showed up in our email um, because we're both members of HFES. And speaking of HFES, uh, I'm going to be there in... What is it? We're like T-minus two weeks now, right? It's October. So... I'll be there. Um, I'll be hanging out uh, throughout all, all, all the days. I'll be there all the days. So if you see me out there, uh, please don't hesitate to come up and, and talk to me. I love hearing from you guys. Um, be happy to have a conversation with you about human factor stuff, uh, virtual reality, Star Wars, whatever it is. I, we just like we just like interacting with you guys so so fe- please feel free to come up and, and uh, hang out with me. Um, Blake won't be able to make it this year, but we're hoping you know we'll have some other conferences coming up soon that we'll be able to get Blake out to, so you guys can uh, do a meet and greet with him. And he's always doing uh, these events in San Diego, so there's plenty of opportunity there as well, right?
1: Yeah, and also for everybody who. Might not be able to make it to HFES. I'll be breaking down some of the things that Nick comes across while he's there. So stay tuned for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna be well. Yeah, we might as well just say it. Like we're gonna do some. Uh, we're, we're we're gonna try to do some bonus episodes. So we'll we'll do the Monday night podcast where we'll recap the stories of the last week um, and maybe just go over a little bit of you know what it was like at the gala and how uh, how Austin is a normal episode. But then every Every episode after that, that week, I think we're going to try to do one a night. Maybe if it's not too much, we'll see, we'll see. We'll get you at least one bonus episode about talking about all the stuff that I saw and uh, what sort of the overarching themes are. But anyway, this HFES website, let's get back to this really quick. So HFES website, uh, I don't know if our listeners have seen this. It's the butt of a lot of jokes, and I hate to really call this out, but I mean, you know, we're human factors, professionals, professionals, uh, we should have a website that reflects our values, and um, currently, as of this recording, it does not. But we got an email uh, this week that said, uh, redesign, and uh, we were hoping to talk about it on the show this week, uh, but you know what? Uh, as some things go, the update got pushed, so uh, stay tuned, because we to all of our listeners, if you're listening to this not on a Monday night, uh, if you don't listen to these right as they go out, which... Probably majority of you don't, but go check it out. It's, it's probably now, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you our thoughts on next week's show. Blake, are you excited about this redesign?
1: Uh, I'm excited because it definitely, and how they're going to kind of, like you said, just stay more to the principles of what we do, having a more usable site and that kind of stuff. And I, I'd love to hear if, like, over the next coming days it gets rolled out, if any of the listeners happen to see it, like, hit us up on Twitter or join Slack, and we can talk about it, and then we'll break it down on the show the week after.
0: Yeah, good callback. Join us on Slack. <laughs> it's in the links in the show description. All right. Okay, Blues. Man, let's get into these stories. This is the part of the show all about human factors news. This could be anything from medical, transportation, psychology, AI, virtual reality, automation, whatever it is. You know, you know the drill by now. Uh, as long as it has to do with the field of human factors, it is all fair game. Blake, what do we got up first this week? All right. So I'm sure most people have
1: heard this week that the ios 11 was dropped and there was definitely some strange things happening in it so ryan lau a designer and ios 11 beta tester detailed a myriad of design areas design errors he noticed in apple's latest mobile update this is small this is a list of small details that are inconsistent such as just font weights sloppy leading and even urgent discrepancies details for evidence that Apple has lost its way, or are these Meyer designed inconsistencies to be expected of any new product?" So Nick, this guy really broke this down pretty deeply across like where you can find a bunch of inconsistencies across just the Apple iOS 11 design, mainly like it says having to do with fonts, some weird alignment across application, but even some strange interactions. And so I wanted to, from other products you used, have you ever, like, had a a product or a piece of software that you really liked that dropped a brand new uh, update, and you just found a bunch of inconsistent errors before they could, like, make any patches to that update?
0: You know, not off the top of my head, and that's that's kind of what perplexes me about this. I mean, you're an Apple guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I am not. So... uh, you know, I'm not against Apple, but I know one of their core tenets is the design part of it, right? They they are very meticulous about the design, and so I'm wondering how something like this could have even happened. Um, but I I really haven't – there's no example that I can think of, off, at least off the top of my head, that sort of had a bunch of inconsistencies. And, I mean, this guy – I don't want to sound uh, – nitpicky here but uh this guy's like really digging into some of these details that like I mean some of them are sure whatever but I mean the the padding like I wouldn't have noticed that and you know I do this like it's not something that I would go through and try to like it's off by a couple pixels but I I I mean it's still there like there's 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 the argument for consistency but then there's the argument that I wouldn't notice it so I I don't know like that's that's kind of where I'm at
1: yeah, so it's it's kind of a strange concept here. So there is a lot of just strange design inconsistencies in terms of like where headers are located. Was the search bar implemented correctly, or did it end up like <laughs> like in the status bar of the of the iPhone? So there's a lot of just weird stuff like that. And you know, I found it really strange to see that coming from Apple. And again, they also made some odd design decisions. Like you see. If listeners are like checking out any of the articles that we've posted, this is uh, in Lifehacker about the iOS 11 update. And the example he uses from Mail and Notes, and they've decided to go with these really big old UI that they have where it tells you, like, hey... It, for instance, in inboxes, it lets you know that you're in mailboxes before you could go back, and that would take you back to the f- top layer. Whereas in nodes, they don't have that. So there's just a lot of things that it was obvious that there wasn't a lot of spot checking going on. Um, but at the same time, a lot of these are just not functional problems. And you like I, I don't know how many people are paying attention to different news stories that are coming out, but there's been definitely a lot from Dodd-Norman talking about Apple's change in its design structure and how it focuses a lot on making things really pretty versus getting away from the usability and the fu- and focusing on functionality. Mm-hmm. So, in my opinion, I mean, great catches. Uh, this guy's a beta tester, so I would definitely expect this.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's sitting, got-
1: sitting around with my girlfriend who also is a human factors practitioner and her dad who like is a technical guy himself. Like we caught some weird things together, but at the same time, none of these were functionally detrimental as far as what we found or what I'm seeing detailed in the two articles by this particular guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing that's, that's breaking. It's just, it's all these little nitnoidy things, right? It's, it's very nitpicky and, and, and very kind of, uh, Pixel perfect, I guess, if you will, Um, which I don't, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I respect the people who can, who can have an eye for this type of thing, right? Like I work with people who, who can spot this thing from a mile away, but um, you know, as long as it doesn't interfere with the interaction, that's kind of where I'm standing. And uh, uh, a lot of people didn't even notice some of these design inconsistencies. So, I mean, not to say that design isn't important, because it is, right? If it's more beautiful and easy to use, then you're gonna you're gonna have a better time doing whatever it is that you're doing on this device. But, um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Hang on. I'm going further down here in the article, and I'm I'm noticing uh the the one where the uh, iPhones are offset on the Apple ID page. <laughs> that one. That one. That one's the one that got me a little bit. Okay. All right.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of them, man, and I really have to say, like, and don't get me wrong, I like my I like my Apple products. I haven't really had problems with operating systems, but a lot of this really seemed like, as far as what was updated, it just seemed like a lot of pretty things. What like even the dashboard now has it's got everything in a central place, but they're just it they're it's not like a giant improvement by any means. Um, right, and even hidden features that are in there, it's it's not very intuitive to find them. It's it's some of those things where you're like you'd have to go poking around on different review sites, and you might pick up some tips and tricks. So I'm I'm a little little concerned about the the like diving into making things really pretty, and maybe a little bit of the loss of paying attention to the usability and functionality of things. Because uh, even like I tried to go through the tips, because that's one great feature that Apple does every time it releases an update it updates its tips app and you know it just didn't really have a whole lot that it changed a lot of it was directing you to so like just go check out the Apple site um, not a whole lot of like hardcore software updates
0: so we'll see yeah I mean it'll be it'll be interesting to see if uh, you know they go through and roll through and fix these guys or if uh, they're just gonna let it sit I mean I know d- from the Google side of things they have uh, you know, they have uh, these style guides basically that they put out and everybody has to kind of meet these standards before they even uh, go out. So, I, who knows? Who knows? Um, do you have anything else on this one or should we jump into uh, – I think this is my favorite story of the week. Uh, yes, that is my favorite story of the week. Should we jump into that one or do you have anything else?
1: Uh, the only kind of closing comment I have is this, this was the only – idea I had that might have been why we saw something like this. And I'm sure it will be updated. There's already leaks of that they're going to bring back a lot of the 3D touch elements they took away from the phone um, for hardcore users that know those. Uh, But there's a potential that maybe with this outcome or bringing out this new phone and how they've they've like taken away the home button, they're building more robust software, even though this is typically a thing they do, maybe this was just such a big leap for them design-wise that it might have just ended up with too many product teams running at once. And so we saw a lot of these discrepancies, but I'm sure we'll see rollouts uh, over the next coming like weeks to fix a lot of these like designy things and even maybe add more functionality.
0: Oh yeah. Especially if more articles like this come out, calling them out on it. I mean, yeah. Oh,
1: and they are everywhere. Like as soon as you, as soon as we were talking about this in Slack, like Twitter was blowing up about it. And then today even it's all over the
0: place. Yeah. There were five other art. It's like a, it's like a Hydra, you know, you, you kill one article and then five others pop up in its place. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. All right. Well, All right. let's let's go ahead and get into my favorite story. I want to talk about this one.
1: Yes, this has got to be my favorite one too, guys. This week, so there are rumors afoot on what Amazon's top secret Lab One Twenty Six group is working on, in an effort to make Alexa more formidable, a competitor to Google Assistant and Siri. Amazon may be letting you take Alexa everywhere by wearing the artificial assistant on your face. That's right, Amazon is said to be developing eyewear that tethers to your smartphone, allowing you to hear and even speak to Alexa via a bone conduction audio system. Unlike similar products such as Google Glass, these glasses will not have a screen or camera. The idea is to give users a direct line to Alexa via their smartphone without having to open an app, as is currently the case. Now, for listeners that don't know, Nick and I both wear glasses, but Nick actually has the added benefit of being an Alexa user. So I'm super excited to hear your take on this Nick. What do you think?
0: Well, I got to say this is a lot more efficient than me strapping my Amazon Echo to my glasses because man, I didn't this is another one of those things that I didn't know I wanted until I heard the idea. And I mean, we we've seen you know Google Google Glass before, right? But but that was very app-based and that was very uh you have a you have a interface that you're interacting with a visual interface i should say um because at least from what it sounds like these are an auditory interface but i i really like this idea because then you know i'm I'm talking to myself all the time anyway but now uh people won't think i'm crazy if they see this device on my head that's that's at least my hope right (laughs) Oh, that that's kind of an interesting take because I was
1: thinking when I was reading it, I was like, I am going to look a little crazier than I am because it would be just – I was thinking these would be like very seamless tech, right? So just having glasses. But I, I guess if it's all auditory, right, they're going to have to have some kind of bud that's going in your ear. Uh, so that might be a dead giveaway that you might be talking to Alexa.
0: Yeah, if, you're, if your name is Alexa, it's, it's a – well – it's not such a great time to be out there in the <laughs> in the world with the, with these kind of devices out there. Although, who knows? I might I might rename it computer when I'm out and about so that way I can uh I can sound like a like the true nerd I am. Computer, uh take, you know, take me to the nearest whatever. And uh the, I'm I'm excited for this idea only because um I am the kind of guy who has been contemplating you know, spending $30 to hook up an amazon dot in my vehicle because in the car i do i do weird things in the car man so our listeners who have been listening for a while know that i have a i have quite a long drive it's it's about a um it's it's about an hour and a half commute and uh i do weird things in the car where you know i'll see a billboard on the side of the road or something and i'll say I'll, i'll audibly say huh i wonder what they've been in um, you know, like if it's an advertisement for a movie or something, I'll ah, oh, what have what have they been in? And um, I can't just sit there and say, Alexa, what movies have so and so been in, right? But with this, I could just, I could, I could do it anywhere, and it, it's so nice to me. It's so it, this is <laughs> this is so promising to me. And uh, another step further. Um, hang on, do they talk about cameras on this thing at all?
1: Um as far as I know it says that they wouldn't have a screen or a camera it would just basically be you and Alexa kind of interacting through voice.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. So um this is this is going to kind of tie back to the banter that we had at the beginning of the show. But man, so Samsung has their answer to Alexa and it's called Bixby. And I hate this thing. I hate this thing <laughs> so much. It's
1: called Bixby? Really? Bixby.
0: Yeah. I, I had
1: no idea they even had like a,
0: a virtual assistant. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's, it's actually bloatware, bloatware hardware, which is weird, right? There's a, there's a dedicated button on the device for a Bigsby, and you cannot remap it. It's a little frustrating. I would have a million other things open instead of this thing, so I've disabled the button, which is the next best thing. But, so Samsung's answer is Bigsby, and if you pull out your camera, there's this thing called Bigsby Vision, and this is awesome. So this thing, you basically take out your camera and, you know, this technology has been around for a while, but the idea is that you point it at something, a brand name, um, some some words or something, and you can translate the words. You can, you can search for a product on Amazon. So like if you point it at cat treats or something, it'll bring you right up to the Amazon page. You can just purchase it right there. And I think that would be something that I would want to see in, glasses like this. Whereas if it had built in cameras and object recognition, you can say, Hey, look, I'm looking at this, uh, order this on Amazon. And I feel like that is just the right, like, here you go. This is, it's integrated to their system. But I mean, I don't know, Uh, having, having just the voice is great too, because I can, the thing is I'll have Alexa with me wherever I go. So if I am, you know, uh, fixing the sink in the bathroom and I think, Oh man, I need this. I can literally say, "Alexa, add this to my shopping list." And then when I'm out and about, I can say, "Well, Alexa, what's on my shopping list?" And it's right in my ear. I don't have to go to my phone or anything. She just reads it to me, and I'm like, "Okay, yes, I'm going here. I'm going there." I like. I love this idea. Yeah, you know, Nick,
1: I think this this is kind of my take on that because I think that's an awesome idea. But maybe what Amazon's doing here is they're kind of tearing up how they're going to build these glasses up. Like, will people try almost kind of like a beta test of a piece of software? But in this case, it's like, okay, are these glasses comfortable enough or something that people actually want to wear all the time um, and are actually useful for people versus like trying to fit so much awesome tech that's integrated with Amazon and like such such a great way. Cause I mean, identifying objects that you're talking about to Alexa and then being able to order them online or get information about ordering them online, that would be incredible. And I feel like this it is kind be. of like step one to get there.
0: You know, even, even if step one was literally just a clip I can put on my glasses that have a bud that go into my ear, that would be better than nothing. And I would, I would like that almost more than having to go through the whole process of, ordering a new prescription for these very specific glasses and do these glasses look good on me well if i just had some sort of clip that integrated with my current glasses or that fit over the ear or something you know that would be um and of course they could come with uh fake fake glasses if you don't wear glasses already but i don't know i i i am really excited about this type of um interaction Mostly for the fact that it's out in the world. And honestly, man, like, it's, it's my biggest sort of, uh, I, I hate to say it's my biggest wish, but, like, just the convenience of having an assistant with you all the time. Like, I can't, if I'm out walking the cat... Or something, you know, I can't. Yes, I walk the cat. If I'm out walking the cat or something, I can't, like, I can't say, add this to my shopping list. I have to remember it and then bring it back home and do it. Whereas if I'm just out and about, I can just say right then and there.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's again kind of making. The Alexa technology more integrated into uh, your everyday life, right? So now, now you can walk around with it versus it just being in the house. You don't have to rely on opening an app and going through a process on your smartphone anymore. Um, and since since you use since it's a lot of it's tied to Amazon itself, I mean it's just it's just a great ecosystem they're trying to create. And I can't wait to see when it comes out and how what it's like on like first implementation.
0: Oh yeah, well depending on when it comes out and what what the uh, things about it are. Uh you can you can bet that I will be an early adopter. And we'll be sure to keep you guys informed in the loop. Um, you know, as soon as we find out anymore, we'll we'll let you guys know. Um wanna jump into the next story here? Yeah, let's do it, man. All
1: right. All right. So back in April, Nick and I talked about Facebook's desire to use neural technology to read your mind, allowing you to type by merely thinking. It's a cool but yet creepy concept. And at their annual developer conference, the company announced that its own Skunkworks group, Building 8, is indeed working on secretive hardware, including its own brain to computer interface. Facebook's BCI is slated to allow users to send words from their brain to a computer by merely thinking them. And Regina Duggan, yeah, Regina Tuggan, the former head of DARPA and now head of Building 8, commented it does sound impossible, but it may be closer than you actually realize. That's scary. That's it, it, uh, This sp- is something I just like to think is science fiction, but it obviously is not.
0: It's statements like these that just like set me into a weird mood where I'm like, ah, we're, are we are we are really that close to being able to read our thoughts and and translate them into like <laughs> you know, Facebook posts. I don't know. It's, it's, it's foreign and weird and exciting in a sense too. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it.
1: Uh, you know, I don't either. And this is, this, this might be unfair in some ways, but when I found it like the, the new head of building eight is a former head of DARPA. I was just, I just couldn't even believe that. Yeah, it's gotta be closer than anything. Cause DARPA has been doing this kind of research in a military context and now these guys from facebook's building eight are working like with neuroscientists to try and ramp this up and like get that get this non-invasive system going which is kind of hard to think about when you're talking about like a brain computer interface but yeah i mean this is not far away it wasn't just it wasn't even that but a few months ago that we were talking about this kind of pontificating about like how likely would be we'd be to see this but it looks like it's ramping up in terms of hardware like now
0: yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, mind 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 reading, man. Like, uh, so let's get into the little nitty gritty of this, right? They they kind of go into detail about how, uh, or, or they don't go into detail, but they kind of they kind of do a little hint of how how they're going to do this whole uh, mind reading slash mind control someday thing, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: So they're talking about using just a mu- just a basic. Supposedly non-invasive headset that's going to allow them to, you know, take readings of what's going on inside your brain as far as like what areas are activating, and supposedly, and this is where it gets really intense for me because of the knowledge of like where neuroscience is now and how it's going to take or what it's going to take to get to the point where you're identifying not only exactly where these words that you're thinking up are in the brain, but being able to use AI to troubleshoot, okay, it's this word, this phrase, taking it from the brain to some kind of computer output, which won't be the hard part. It's more of like the connection between the brain to the actual, I guess, AI that's going to compute a lot of this stuff.
0: Right. That's the, yeah,
1: that's just the basic premise. Yeah.
0: They can get a lot of this information just from, from, uh, from these non-invasive nodes. Right. And, um, or non-invasive sensors, and so, so they're they're relying heavily on AI here to kind of interpret what the signals mean, and you know they're they're probably using some fuzzy detection to kind of piece together what um, what the user intended to say versus what their actual thoughts were, and then uh, yeah, uh, dude, I am I literally cannot think. Right now, because I I can't this I am at honestly I'm at a loss for words with this with this story like this is one that just gets me I don't know what it is about somebody poking around in my brain and like being able to see what my thoughts are but this just does not sit well with me but it's also very exciting because this is going to open up the way for so many other things think about controlling inputs with non-invasive brain uh, nodes you know that you can you can control a plane or something with just these this device on your head and the AI interprets everything else? Like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, this is awesome to me. But at the same time, it's like, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think what's incredible is the technology that, uh, or combining, I guess, a lot of neuroscience that exists today with technology from that realm that's going to eventually connect to high-powered computing. And, like, one, one of the, like, scary but awesome tech parts of this is the is this comes from the article and it says the team is actually leaning towards using technology called diffuse optimal topography or tomography excuse me to pull all this kind of stuff off so the basics is it's gonna shine near infrared light onto actual brain tissue and then deduct the patterns of neurons based on how that light scatters on the brain so that that sentence alone is just insane to even say or to think that people are going to adopt this in any kind of mass way, just so their thoughts can be read and you can type a little faster.
0: Nah, nah, (laughs) no, (laughs) I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm excited about like, there's always this uh, relationship with technology, right? Where you're excited about the future and you're also very Scared of potentially some of the applications of the future, right? Like this is one of those instances where I don't know how I feel about this. Well,
1: it's hard, right? Because I mean, I've got some points from uh, from the end of the article here as well that talk about like this has been used by a bunch of different companies in different ways, and one way is to help people with disabilities to control either paralyzed limbs or prosthetics. I mean, there's there's an amazing application of BCIs in general. I just think this particular one is too much too fast.
0: Yeah, uh I think we as a society need a little bit more time to adjust to the idea of this before we actually go and implement it as a, an interaction method or um you know, before we start integrating it with the technology that we use. I I think we need to adjust uh on this. We need to adjust to this as a society first.
1: Yeah, and I totally agree. I think the the part that really needs to be thought out is the security of the data being recorded. Because oh. we keep running into so many cybersecurity issues that are yeah. in some ways brand new because we're, data is just all so, so accessible now. There needs to be restructuring of databases, how we interact with security systems. And we're talking about something that's basically... Re- For lack of a better any other way of saying it, it's reading your mind, having to record that data and then spit it back out like that's that can be used maliciously. I'm sure I just couldn't think of how to do it. Right.
0: Yeah. And Blake, I got to say, man, I I have to say, I I see what you did with the show notes this week. And thank you for not putting this last because this would have been a downer to go out on.
1: I know. See, I'm trying to get better <laughs> about that. You're learning it's on happy notes.
0: You're learning. It's good. We're all good. All right. So, uh, do you have any other closing thoughts on this one before we move on?
1: No, nah, let's get out of here. Man. All this right. Yeah. I,
0: I'm. I'm like sweating just thinking about this, and it's also hot in uh, this sauna that I call the studio. All right. So, before we move on, I just want to thank all of our friends over at Hacker Noon, Lifehacker, Gizmodo, and Engadget for all of our stories this week. If you guys want to follow along with us. As we find all the stories, you can follow us on social media for our links to all the original articles. Like I said, we post those as we find them so uh, you can get a head start on what we're going to be talking about up on the podcast every week. Um, And, you know, it's always fun to comment on those. And sometimes we bring in those comments and sometimes not. But uh, who knows? All right, Blake, let's get into our last story for the day because I'm I'm actually there's this is a very simple story, but there's a lot to dig into here. All right, man. Well, let's dig in.
1: All right. So we're getting into video gaming. Good way to end the show. So review bu- review bombing in video in the gaming community is commonplace and can have damaging effects on game developers. Well, Valve is trying to fix that. Instead of single review scores, game pages will now be accompanied by a histogram displaying a visual history of users' reviews. So their UI, UI designer, Alden Kroll, said that the team had toyed with various options, but decided not to change the ways that players actually can review games, but instead focused on potential, potential how potential purchasers can explore and review user <laughs> review game data. So each game page now will have a histogram that presents both positive and negative reviews submitted over the lifetime of the game. So, Nick, I'm kind of at a loss for this one because I don't have a lot of familiarity with Steam's platform.
0: Okay, Uh, well, Do you? A little bit. So, let's break it down, though. I mean, you don't have to have a familiarity with Steam's platform um, to really dig into this. But the reason I put this in here this week is because this is a way to display information to make it available to people. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this, man. So let me give a little bit of backstory here. For our our listeners who are unfamiliar with the concept of review bombing, this is basically when the developer of a video game or something happens just out of, I don't know, there could be some event. Let's just leave it at that. There's some event and the internet, like the rallying machine it is, gets everybody and their closest friends together and... Literally just bombs this uh, game, or you know whatever it is. It happens with books on Amazon. It happens with more than just video games, which is why you know this isn't just a unique problem to video games. But the idea is that you get a bunch of people to give you a negative review, so that way it influences other people. It's social engineering mixed with um, the internet, the power of the internet, and sort of uh, perception of how these uh these games or these products are it it basically comes down to altering people's perception of what these products are it's it's it you know despite having a ton of good reviews you get a a wave of bad reviews at once and then the score goes way down right so steam's uh well let me even give a little bit more backstory to this so um this is going to get down a really sort of um specialized pathway here, but are you familiar with PewDiePie at all? Uh,
1: I've heard of him. He's a popular YouTuber, right? There's nothing like stream games and hosts his own kind of shows on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I hate the guy, but uh, you know, and I don't don't understand what people see in him, and I'm sorry if our listeners like him. I just, it's not for me. If you like him, that's fine. Um, But he's part of this story. So he, while he was streaming the other day, um, he Said a racial slur while he was on his channel, and um, one of the developers of the video games that he had played and done a walkthrough um, did a DMCA on uh, on those videos. Right, so the the creator of a game called Firewatch basically said, "Hey, PewDiePie can't do any of these videos on my game," and. It's kind of an abuse. Oh wow,
1: that's pretty serious for a game developer to do. It
0: is, and it's kind of an abuse of power um, because it's it's a moral gray area, right? He didn't like DMCA is um, basically a copyright claim, right? That's saying no, that's mine. Whereas you know, it could be classified as derivative because he was talking over it, or you know, there's there's a bunch of legal issues with that. But it wasn't a a flat out like. You know, it, it wasn't, it shouldn't have been a claim. So what happened was a bunch of people got together and they review bombed uh, the maker of Firewatch, right? They they down, They uh, downvoted Firewatch a ton and Steam responded with this histogram. Okay, now we're back to the story, right? They responded with this histogram to show over time what the distribution of positive and negative scores are. So what I want to get to you, Blake, or my question for you rather is, Do you think this is a good way to display video game reviews or just reviews in general? Because you have this unique challenge of having to show what's the review over time and was there some event that changed the perception of this product?
1: Okay, so I've got a couple of divergent opinions on this, and so I'll just go through both of them, right? So I like the idea that you can see across a good span of time, across when the game was released to now, What the reviews were like so that way we can kind of test and see as a user we can dig into the data and see like okay all of a sudden i'm seeing a lot of negative reviews like god in july 2016 and you can look around or check out like hey maybe there was a software update or maybe they nerfed a character or or maybe some kind of uh, event like with what we were talking about with a youtuber or Twitch streamer happened and it had people that negative bombed the entire game. So, I mean, it, it's a great depiction of data for sure. Um, and it's I like that it's showing both positive and negative reviews so that you get a better sense of, okay, what's really going on? Um, the, the only other comment I have really is kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. I don't know how many users, including myself, would really dive into this. Because uh, when I like when I see trailers for games and, or if I'm going to pick up a video game, a lot of times it's because I'm a repeat player or I don't know. I thought the trailer was great. I don't really put so much stock in reviews because I, based on just especially in video game, in the video game community, I know that people can be like unusually cruel or like overly exaggerated about how good it is. So you just have to know that me- you're going to make up your mind on your own. Um, but Nick, what do you... What do you think about this? I mean, would you use this kind of like look into a video game uh, review data?
0: So here's here's my thoughts on this. Right? Is it is it optimal? No, uh, I believe there's there's probably other ways to display review information that will like an like an equalization over time or or some sort of um time delayed review score. I don't I don't know. I I would need to dig into this problem, but I. think there's got to be a better way than a histogram. So is it optimal? No. Is it good enough for now? Absolutely. This is this is great. I think so for me, I am someone who very much uh, I I read the reviews before I buy. That's that's very much who I am unless it's, you know, a Star Wars IP, then uh then uh, Disney Lucasfilm gets all my money, but <laughs> but I am very much a rev- I, I read the reviews before I buy anything. This goes to Amazon. This goes to video games. This whatever it is, I will read the review. So what this tells me is, uh, and, and I'm very sort of meticulous about my reviews because I don't want to be subject to confirmation bias when I'm going through and being like, yep, that's a five star review. Yep, that's a five star review. I want to look at the distribution of positive versus negative reviews. This does it for me. Um this tells me exactly, you know, uh how many negative and positive reviews occurred within a certain time frame. And if I can see, you know, um oh, there was there was a bunch of negative reviews around this time. I wonder if something happened here. And then uh, what would be cool is if they provided some sort of like, here's what was in the news around this time in the field of video games, you know, because then you could be like, oh, okay, so that that may explain why this one dropped a lot. Then Um, I I don't know. I like I said, I don't think it's optimal, but I think uh, I I would I'm going to use this next time I play a video game because uh, or next time I buy one, I just to me, it it makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point about because I definitely do read reviews on like Amazon for sure, especially about products that like I I'm not really sure about. Like I I do this for camera lenses a lot, like trying to see compare them to like uh, you know more expensive ones. Will this actually be useful? That kind of stuff. But the point here is that it shows like trends for positive and negative reviews. But I guess for when I think of reviews, I want to know like an across an aggregate of however many there are, what are like the, what's the overwhelming theme from them? And I guess like, I guess they're doing that here with like calling them overwhelming positive or overwhelmingly negative, but I would want like some kind of basic, and I know this is asking for a lot, but some kind of overall synopsis of like, okay, from this time period to this time period, this is what people really liked. If there was enough like commonalities that could actually pull out.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So steam already kind of does some of those things. Um, maybe check it out because it it could be really useful to you. I know they do. So the overwhelmingly positive is just because there's a high percentage of users that the, the way you rate this is either thumbs up or thumbs down. Very simplistic, right? So when you have a certain, it's over a certain percentage of players that upvote it or, you know, say it's a good game, then you get that overwhelmingly positive um, review score. The, they do pull out like, Key reviews that other users have said, you know, I found this helpful. They pull those out and elevate those to the top, um, and they pull like the top two and the top bottom or the bottom two, you know, just to say like, here's these these uh, kind of encapsulate the game as voted on by the community. And I guess you know it's dependent on the community, but yeah, uh, reviews are interesting, man. Like there's there's a ton of different ways that you can display reviews, and it's it's a unique problem because. You need some sort of way to aggregate what a bunch of people are saying. And yeah, to pull out those themes, that'd be interesting, right? You have some sort of AI that kind of makes a sentence that encapsulates everything that everyone's saying. I don't know. Honestly, Nick, and this is totally,
1: I hate when I see these things, but this is the first time I've maybe really thought about it where it could be useful here is like for a time period if, or I'm trying to think how to describe these. They're like, it's basically a, di- it's not a diagram, but it's a picture and it has, it's just full of words. And the bigger the word is, oh, the more yeah. time it was mentioned.
0: Yeah, it's uh, a, that's a so, word I'm not sure analysis. what those are called,
1: but that could be useful here.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think that's a uh, frequency analysis of words, right? And it Yeah, just...
1: and I think they call it a word cloud.
0: Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, something like that could definitely help. But anyway, I just, I wanted to bring this up because it's, it, it is one of those interesting problems when it comes to sorting through reviews, no matter what it is, video games, Amazon, Target, Walmart, whatever it is. um, You know, you have sort of this challenge with what reviews do you trust? Which ones don't you trust? um, How has the review changed over time? That's a big one too. So I don't know. I I thought it was an interesting story and one that we uh, could end on this week. But uh, let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit. Let's get to the It Came From Reddit section. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you guys topics the community's talking about. So any subreddit's fair game, as long as it relates to the field of human factors and encourages discussion among the community. So our first one today um, actually comes from the Human Factor subreddit. Yeah, it's not dead. Woo! (laughs) It lives! It lives! From uh, Turkey Jr. Turkey Jr. writes... Currently, I am working as an undergraduate research assistant in a human factors lab. Recently, we acquired an Oculus Rift. Oh, this is right up my alley, Blake. Thanks for picking this one. My faculty member has given me the freedom to run my own experiment, unfortunately. I'm having trouble coming up with a topic, along with the Rift. We also have a driving simulator. I would like to do something combining the two, but mainly the Oculus. Any ideas are welcomed. Uh, Some ideas I already thought about were simulation sickness and phobias, uh, but there's extensive research on both. Um, Their current research is centered around assessing ADHD and multitasking. Okay, Blake, Uh, so you're the VR expert. What do you think?
1: Uh yeah, <laughs> so I definitely picked this for Nick specifically because you mentioned that you have an Oculus Rift. I mean, I have silly points that I can go about, but I, I Nick, I would really love for you to tear this one up.
0: Oh man, no, oh, don't don't make me tear this up. Uh, I don't. <laughs> they're an undergraduate. I don't want to tear this up. All right, let me let me be kind. Okay, so first off, um, this is great. I'm I'm very happy that you guys got a Rift. Uh, I'm very happy that you guys are are getting into virtual reality research. Uh, One important note, um, it is not about the tool. And I only say this because of the line in there that says, I would like to do something combining the two, but mainly the Oculus, right? Um, Research should never be around the tool unless you are researching something specific to the tool, right? So motion sickness in VR, uh, motion sickness with head-mounted displays, something very specific along those lines. Um, If you can do it in another way, um, I'll always make it be about the research and about about the topics that you want to search on like just because VR is sexy right now don't feel like that's something that you have to jump into and and jump on that bandwagon just because it's VR right that's point one. Point two, uh, I think we actually came up with a couple ideas in human factors cast so if you're really desperate you can dig through a couple of our old archived episodes <laughs> uh, and uh, let's see here so Motion sickness and phobias, um, or simulation sickness, I guess. So I, you know, I'm having a hard time coming up with one on the fly, but um, yeah, I mean, it also depends on kind of this. Uh, do you, it, does it have to be novel research? Are you is this a pr- like undergraduate? So I don't know. Is it is it like a is it a project or is it something that you? Um, are just trying to do an experiment on and there's a big difference, right? Uh, try to incorporate my, my advice for you would be to try to incorporate some of your passions, um, which I don't, I don't see any passion in here, but maybe, maybe, uh, think about something that you're passionate about and try to incorporate that into the VR. And I know this was a very, uh, kind of broad strokes answer to this question, but, um, yeah, I, I I mainly wanted to address the don't don't uh, go after it because of the tool, go after it because of the research aspect.
1: Yeah, Nick, that's a that's a great point to make, and it's it's it, like like they said, it's awesome that you guys have access to an Oculus Rift um, and even a driving simulator. But I'm, I'm assuming you're working in the human factors lab because there's some kind of research they were doing that interested you. So I would really like, like like Nick has already said, go after what you're interested in, why you joined the lab in the first place and try and dig up research and build like a research question from that. However, I've got a couple of kind of ideas you could use. I'm not sure again, kind of what Nick was talking about. Is this just like an experiment? Is this an undergraduate thesis? Are you just like, Do you guys have funding in a specific area? What are you trying to do? A lot of these things would play into how I would typically answer this. But since this is Reddit, I'm going to take a few liberties. So you've got a driving simulator and an Oculus Rift. And I know from taking an attention class in graduate school, there is a lot, I mean, a lot of research done with distracted driving. And we know that right now that's definitely a big topic with cell phones and the cars, additions of nav. Um, you know, now we're talking about like different AI systems being in the car. So one thing you could potentially test is determining how people perform in your driving simulator. So whatever you currently have, and if it currently could hook up to your Oculus Rift, comparing, contrasting how they perform in like a more immersive simulation versus just a regular old 2D driving simulator. Might be something interesting to look at. Do they make less, you know, lane deviations or if you have a distractor task, do they perform better in VR versus in 2D? Who knows. Uh, that's that's one way to go about it. Um, another way is just doing strict driving research. If you have access to a driving simulator, I mean, multitasking in the car is a super interesting topic. There's arguments on definitely both sides of the fence that multitasking is uh, is real and you can't do it versus you it's it's not a real phenomenon. Nobody can multitask. There's a there's a plethora of research out there, and I guess the only thing I want to point out is. Even though there's been research done in a lot of these areas, I think the key point a lot of the times is, like Nick said, find passion. But also, too, you can just find ways that you can build upon what's already been done. Uh, so don't get like too discouraged if there's extensive research. Just find a unique way that you're going to add to that body of research.
0: I got two things, Blake. One. What do you got? You could put the Oculus Rift on while you're in the driving simulator. Boom. Perfect. <laughs> two and this is this is a serious point here it depends on what your timeline for this is cuz if you are um it, it depi- there's a couple contingencies here but let me just let me just you know throw this out there so if you are currently um trying to do this and and you have a little bit of time to think about it and you have the funds available to you uh human factors and ergonomics society is what two weeks away and i i jest a little bit but honestly if you can bounce ideas off of the virtual environments technical group that is a great way to kind of have this think tank of like go, you know go to the and whatever and 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 sort of have these ideas bounced off of other people who are in this type of uh field and they'll have ideas that you wouldn't have even thought of and uh Man, like I got to say, going to some of these events just really sparks your ideas and gets, you, gets your juices flowing. So that would be another piece of advice. If you can afford it and if it works into the timeline of this, go to HFES or stand outside of HFES and, and just, you know, bug people.
1: <laughs> there you go. Just reach out to people any way you can.
0: All right. Well, I think, uh, you know, there's a couple other ones that we were going to get to. But, man, we are tight on time. So I'm going to go ahead and call it for the day. Well, that's going to be it for today. Uh, I'm I. This was a fun episode. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, aside from the ending, which uh, I will edit out. So <laughs> Let us know what you guys thought of the stories this week. Did you like them? Did you hate them? Let us know. Follow along with us on social media as we find these things. Um, if you can let us know if there's any news stories or topics that you think we missed you can head on over to the human factors cast linkedin facebook or twitter we're at h factors podcast you can join the discussion on our soundcloud or you can send us an email at human at gmail.com leave us a voicemail at 901-646-1432 that's 901-646-1hfc and if you like what we're doing you can support us on our patreon at patreon.com slash human factors cast if you, don't, if you don't have the money, I completely understand. You can always leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, or wherever your favorite podcast directory is. That is just as good as money to us. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. Mr. Blake Armstrong, thank you for hanging out and talking about video game uh, histogram charts and mind reading. And, uh, shoot, what were the other stories we talked about? <laughs> All those things today. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you if they want to talk about any of these things with
1: you? Oh, man. Well, thank you to the powerful Nick Rome again for having me on the show every week and talking about these human factors topics. As always, you guys can find me on Twitter at Don't Panic UX
0: and don't be afraid to reach out, Mr. Don't Panic UX and don't panic for reaching out. All right. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, guys, remember, it depends. It depends. It depends on so many things. Whether somebody's reading right mine or not, it depends. Mind reading. Histogram.
1: Make those reviews good. Make them good.
0: We want those reviews good. We will look at the histograms of those reviews. Starting to sound like a one of those conservative talk show hosts. All right, that's a good place to end it. Let's go.